with Mike Bianchi and Mark Daniels. The Bridge is brought to you by Gold Key Roofing. For more than 40 years doing business in the same community that you live and work for all your home and business roofing needs, go to Gold Key Roofing. Is there any singing in this? This is 60s music. It's 60s, all right. Yeah, 1860s. 1760s. 1760s. This is what happens when you let the new guy try and pick a song. Do you know this one? I Mo- it's, uh, is it Mozart? Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Daniels knows his Mozart. <laughs> uh, so this you got is the a, name of it. This is the 1760s? 1760. Mm. Mike, this is Mozart after he went commercial. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> one thing when he did the private stuff in the castle, but once he cut the record deal and he had to start yeah. doing videos and Opera, tours yeah. and going on the Today Show and Entertainment yeah. Tonight, yeah. this is when Mozart <laughs> went commercial. Yeah, I prefer the early Mozart. They were, you know, when he was, you know, he was in the same band with Bach. Right. Beethoven. When yeah. B flat yeah. meant something yeah. back then. Yeah. <laughs> Bach was the Bachman Turner Overdrive. And the, yeah, and then Bach became Bachman Turner Overdrive. Exactly. <laughs> and then Mozart French started calling him Mo. And it was just <laughs> he broke not out. The same. He, he was like Justin Timberlake broke out and did uh, Rock Me Amadeus. Yeah. Here's the thing you don't understand, okay? If you think about music today, when they play this back then, you know, did, did, did groupies back then go, oh my God, it's unbelievable? Right? Yeah. Yeah, have you seen, ever oh, seen the movie? What's the movie Time After Time, right? About Mozart? Mozart. Let me just say something about Mozart's it. piano playing. All right? He was no Jerry Lee Lewis. Amen, brother. Uh, good Lord. <laughs> Ain't no chance Mozart had about two bottles of vodka in him when he went out to play. Uh, big game tomorrow. Big we're, game tomorrow, Mike. We're a day away. Florida, Miami. Uh, hopefully the weather holds out because we don't need another another sporting event in this city that gets rained on. All right, you just hope that that doesn't come up in a broadcast tomorrow. It's raining. Well, you know they have the Pro Bowl here for all these years and it's been raining. Like, yeah. you hope that doesn't. MLS All Star Game. It rained. Yeah, everything rains. Aren't we the city? When do we become the city precipitation? You know, the problem is if it happens, that means Bianchi's going to write the Disney Dome column again. There, yes. Oh my God. Exactly. The Disney Dome. And God Sorry. forbid. During that lightning delay I've given Mike is oh, a column. Oh, if there's like, a lightning delay tomorrow night, oh, yeah, there will be a Disney yeah. Dome column. There you go. You better believe it. There's a lightning delay. Mike's I will hoping be to finish that to column by 9 so we can click send by 9.15. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we just asked the head ball coach, Steve Spurrier, this question, and he was hemming and hawing around. He didn't really answer it. Um, the big three, Florida, Florida State, and Miami. Um, everybody knows the nineties was the heyday and I asked Spurrier could can it ever get back to the golden years of of college football in this state where Florida, Florida State, and Miami are all national title contenders uh regularly. Do you what think he, it can? Why did he him and haw at that? Well, I mean he did, he said I can't speak for Miami and Florida State and you know, and I think we can get back there and it has to speak as one of the great college football coaches well, ever. Yeah, but again, you know, Spurrier, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes he just doesn't answer right. questions the way he doesn't want to have to deal with like his own fans saying, I, you said that Miami and Florida State uh, are gonna be great. <laughs> um I don't well, first of all, just like I don't think Miami can ever get – I think Miami can get back to periodically winning national championships. It's never going to be like it was in the 80s and 90s. 
I don't know that the state of Florida teams can all have powerhouses again like they did back then. Because I, I think the landscape has changed. Well, I, I think the answer to your question is yes and no, and I'm not saying on the fence here, meaning there may be seasons yes. where all three have magical yes. runs. Yes. And, and But not year after right. year after year after meaning year. Meaning we could get to November – and all three remain in the hunt. Now, the scheduling of Florida State and Miami means somebody may have a loss. But, but, but I do think you may have, uh, I'll say, one every eight years that maybe they all three uh, are in contention at some point. But it's very difficult to sustain it. And I, I, I brought this up the other day when the AP poll came out, okay? UCF being 17th is incredible just for where the brand was a few years ago. But Florida State has no votes. USC had one vote. Uh, Miami's not ranked. Um, you know, just take a look how things can change in not 10 years, in, in five years. So the run that Alabama's on and the run that Clemson is building is not the norm. That doesn't mean you don't have teams that are perennial uh, top 10 teams, but they're not year in and year out on the playoff. I mean, as good as Ohio State's in, uh, been, they're not in the playoff every single year. I, when, when we were living those times in the 1990s when all – Three teams were unbelievable, competing for national championships most every year, winning their conference every year. Do you think we realize what we were living through? And, and I, I think I think you and I and others that were, were recovering did. It was unbelievable, and I think the nation respected what this state was. It is also a different college football landscape in the sense of independence, where Miami and Florida State played. That doesn't mean that they scheduled weak teams all the time. They balanced um, their schedules uh, had, with, with, with tough opponents and then some games that you could win. But I think that's changed too now. Well, I was talking uh, a few years ago. I went down to the Keys and I did a story on Jimmy Johnson, and mm-hmm. I was asking him about you know Miami was was down obviously, and I and I go, why do you think they're down? And will they? And I asked him, will they ever get back? And he brought up the fact that when he coached at Miami, they were an independent. He scheduled four or five really high-profile games every year. You know, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Florida, Florida State. And he said all those games were primetime games, national games, and, and we were on TV, and the recruits loved it. And he goes, that's when being on TV meant something. And now everybody's on TV. Yes. Um, that was before the SEC Network and the Big Ten Network and before UCF. And the AAC right. had their television but deal. But Jimmy and those guys and Sam Jankovic, the AD, uh, back then, they also balanced the schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had no, the— I, I, No, they did play those powers. But there also was a stretch where here came Miami of Ohio, Toledo. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I was looking back at uh, uh, you know the last time these two teams played in the annual series, okay, the famous 31-4 to game. Miami has three home games where they draw just over 30,000. Yeah. That team lost once in three years. <laughs> so, you know, we talk about attendance today. It, 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 well, it, Miami's never had a good But attendance. I'm just saying this team had this incredible role of all these players, and, and they were still struggling to fill the Orange Bowl if they weren't playing Oklahoma or Notre Dame or somebody like that. It's a different time, different era. It's, you know, the game structured so much uh, uh, different today because of TV and, and conferences, and I'm not quite sure we can get back to that. Okay, I'm looking at Miami's 1987 Schedule, yeah, yeah. all right. Um, Florida, which is a high-profile game. Florida State, high-profile. Um, uh, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, um, and you know 
So they had four really high-profile games. That I guess I'm we, not sure Virginia Tech yeah, was, was a high-profile no, game maybe back not, then. Yeah, <laughs> and they ended it with Oklahoma. No, they began the year against three ranked teams: Florida, at Arkansas, at Florida State. Then they played Maryland, Cincinnati, East Carolina, Miami, Ohio, Virginia Tech, Toledo. Then they ended the year against ranked Notre Dame, ranked South Carolina, and they went on to beat. Oklahoma, the Orange. See, but but Jimmy Johnson's point was they would schedule a handful of games every year that were big time, prime time games. And, oh no, he's right. And now yeah. they can't do that because they're in a conference. By the way, tell me if you could do this schedule uh, uh, today in 2019. So they opened up against Florida that year at home at the Orange Bowl, right? Then played four of their next five on the road. Yeah, you, that, that yeah because they're Wait. in a league. And then after October 31st, when they played East Carolina, didn't leave. They played their next six games of the Orange Bowl. No. <laughs> No, you can't do that today. Right. So you're, I mean, those are factors that come into play. I'll tell you another factor is this. I think Miami, Florida, Florida State, they used, their roster was filled out by, you know, some recruits that are now going to UCF, that are now going to USF, yeah. that are now going to FAU and FIU, right? Yes. And even more yeah, than that, okay. schools like Rutgers that at one point under Greg Schiano made a point coming here. Louisville had gone and gotten a lot of great, you know, uh, talented kids from South Florida that would have been, you know, sort of last chance guys, uh, you know, to play at, at some of these bigger schools. Mike, remember when UCF went to Louisville and beat that Charlie Strong team? I think the number was 34 Miami players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you got in the Florida-Miami game? Um... Weather, not a factor. I just think Florida right now is a better team than Miami. I think the Canes are more likely to make some mistakes. and Because of the quarterback. And in first game of the year, I think those things come into play. Now, Miami's defense is good enough that they may make it a tough day for Felipe Franks. Uh, but I think Florida right now is a better team than Miami. I do think if Miami solidifies its quarterback position, I do think by the middle end of the season, I, instead of the, and Adam knows this, the Kane dive, I think Miami will still be peaking. Now, doesn't mean they're going to win 11 games, but I think by the end of the year, you'll see that Miami's got some decent players for a good team. Hmm. I think, Flor- again, weather not yeah. permitting, I think Florida's going to kill them. Okay. My by, uh, 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 <laughs> by what margin? 34 to 10. Oh, okay. I just think Florida, again, you know what I said about Florida's offense this year. I think Florida's offense is going to be really, really, really good this year. And I realize Miami has a good defense, but I think Florida's offense is going to be better than Miami's defense. Well, again, you got to see how the game plays itself yeah. out. I think we would all agree. If, if Florida gets a two-score advantage, it does, to me, set your score up more likely, meaning all of a sudden Miami perhaps comes out of what they feel like they want to do, which is probably let's not do too much on offense. Let's kind of ease into this and have our defense mm-hmm. uh, give us the opportunity. But if Florida races out to a, a 10 or 14 nothing lead and all of a sudden you're like, well, we're not stopping them. We've got to now do things on offense that we're maybe not ready to do. We'll see. But maybe Miami won't be as conservative coming out. I know Adam's excited because they've used three wide in their terminology. Nice. Mm. Nice. Uh, Not five. We're not ready for that. Just three wide. Motion on offense. Uh, All right. So Josh Heupel puts out a statement yesterday. uh, Names Brandon Wimbush as the starting quarterback at UCF. But in the statement, which I thought was a little peculiar, 
He said in the statement, Brandon Whip- Wimbush will be our starting quarterback and Dylan Gabriel will get an opportunity to play in the first game as well. Now, he doesn't say Dylan Gabriel will get an opportunity to play if we get way ahead. He said that, that would be pretty interesting if that was the yeah, quote, huh? Yes. Wait, no, he's saying Dylan Gabriel's going to play in the game. Yes. Right? Yes. Is that peculiar? No. It's not. Well, it may be peculiar if you're looking for the traditional, here's our starter, here's the guy that we're going with, he's the only guy that's going to play. Um, I think, and other people have been able to read this, I think what Josh Heupel said is, you want to know who's going to go out and take the first snap of the game on Thursday. This is the guy that's going to do it. I think you can read into that that my guess is that Dylan Gabriel's not going to only come in if the game is well in hand by X number of points. Do you think Dylan Gabriel plays early in the game? Define early. Uh, like first 7, three 15, possessions. 7, first, 18 in the morning. First three or four possessions. Uh, possibly. Yeah, That's what I think. I think that's what he's saying here. Which is fine. Uh, again, it's, it's like the same thing with Miami. You name a quarterback because someone's got to start the game. It doesn't mean that you're married to that name. Forget the rest of the season for the game. Now, maybe UCF's opener, well, it is different than, than Miami's opener. But uh, I think what Josh Heupel is telling you is that both guys competed and we're going to have to choose somebody to start, and this is the guy that's going to start, but the other guys earned the right to play. And while that may be ideal, not ideal for 12 games of a season, it may be where you are right now. Uh, yeah, I, I think – Again, you know a lot more about it than I do. I think Josh Heupel right now doesn't really know who his best quarterback is yet. Doesn't really know who his best quarterback is yet, and I think he's still going to use these but games. But I think you agree, and whether it's UCF or any situation, college coaches are always thinking about the future, mm-hmm. okay? And I think all those things come into play in scenarios like this. You have someone that has 16 games as a starter whose record was 13-3 and three at mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Now, flaws in the game? Yeah, okay. But there's an experience of starting at a program like that that is valuable, where Dylan Gabriel has tremendous potential, has never started a college football game. That's a factor. I'm not saying it's the only reason why Brandon's going to start next week, but I think you take those into account. Josh Heupel has to, he better feel better about Dylan Gabriel's future because Brandon Wimbush has at the most 15 games left of his college career. Dylan Gabriel has a lot more. So, uh, you know, if Josh Heupel thinks the best guy to start next Thursday is Brandon Wimbush, is he wrong if he says, but the other guy's got an incredible bright future, so we're going to make sure he has a chance to play. Do you think there's a chance that we go in the week two against FAU and he still is going to be playing? Do you think this two-quarterback thing could go on? I don't know. I mean, the answer to your first question is, Probably, because if the game goes as you think it's going to go, are you going to be able to really conclude a lot if you do what you want to do? Now, the second game, I'm not telling you that it's Alabama, but you're going on the road. Okay, it's FAU. And, you know, you want to get some answers, and and, and, it, and it's a road game. So, play itself out. Look, if I ask Adam right now, who, who's Miami starting, back for the, uh, starting quarterback for the third game? Are you confidently answering the same person who's starting tomorrow night? No, but I will say that that I, I don't believe there's any plan at all in giving Nicozy Perry or Tate Martell any run No, I understand yeah. that, but what I'm saying is you'll acknowledge if at halftime he's three for nine right. for seven yards. Then they go somewhere else. Now, the one difference is 
uh, Dylan Gabriel hasn't lined up at slot receiver like Tate Martell apparently did <laughs> oh. for one practice. Listen, I, so. I'm not even counting Tate Martell. I'm talking more to Cozy Bear. Yeah. <laughs> about your boy Daniel Jones? Hmm? Y'all can be quiet now. Huh? Listen, Baker Mayfield may have an article in GQ, but Daniel Jones is going to be in Tiger Beat. He's going to be breaking down <laughs> what life is Tiger like as a quarterback beat. in New York. I would love... Uh, wait, it's starting to turn, okay? Now, believe me, you know my love for the Giants. Mm. It's just the preseason, okay? Mm. But I'm watching football talking heads last oh, night. Oh, no. They're, they're turning? The, 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 the same ones that just destroyed everything about it, like... Yeah, like what you saw last night, and if you're the Giants about Eli, all of a sudden it's like, so in in a dozen series, you've now concluded. It's unbelievable. I would love. It's unbelievable. I would love if Daniel Jones became a star just to go back and get like Stephen A. Smith's clips and all of those, just ripping them for draft. He wouldn't have enough and time. And all I'll say is I have no idea if he's going to be good. But I've watched these three games. Uh, I, I saw highlights, and but, but I got him to watch some of it live last night. I was working. He doesn't look out of place. He looks the part. He's six foot four. He stands in a pocket. He looks throws like the he ball knows, well. Knows where he's throwing the ball so, too. But all of a sudden, it's like, well, and, and and now I got guys Mike using the clickers. Like, take a look how he steps up here to keep the ball. Like, oh, okay. Weren't you one of the people that just said dumbest pick ever? Like. Five weeks ago and stuff. Plus, you know what else he does? He goes through his progressions. Yeah, pocket presence, Mike. Yeah. Pocket yeah. presence, poise, goes Demands through his progressions. Yep. And you know what else? Because he went to Duke. He's he, smart. He's a heady quarterback. Yep. He's, <laughs> yep. he's, he's heady. Is he a leader in the locker room yet or no? Oh, yeah. Come on. If you, go, if you go to Duke, you're heady. If you go to Alabama, you're athletic. Right. Is he the first guy who gets to <laughs> film study and the last guy to leave? You know it. <laughs> film room junkie. what it's all about. All right, I want to get your take on this. So obviously, we've been talking for you know two days. Why did Brian Flores, Miami Dolphins head coach, why did he play the Jay Z songs at practice the other day? Only a day after Kenny Stills expressed disdain for Jay Z partnering with the NFL in the name of social justice. Here's here's what Brian Flores. Uh, here's how he explained why he played the Jay Z songs. You know, after the playlist was done, you know, I walked up to Kenny in front of the entire group and said, this is a challenge to you to get open, catch the football, and make plays for this team, regardless of what's going on outside of this building. The next day, because you know, there was a lot more attention paid to this than I ever would have imagined, I got up in front of the team and I told them, I support Kenny. I support, you know, the player protests. Okay. He said that. Um, Vasquez. Play the, play the other clip where he says, "If you have a problem, then we're just gonna have to agree to disagree." Do you have you have that clip in there? Play that one, because he gets really. It seems like he's getting really, really testy with the. Uh... Here it is. Whatever scrutiny or media, whatever I get, you know, then that's what I get. I believe, I, and, and that's it. The player protest, I lived it. Uh, I don't know how many people in here have, you know, but I lived it. So. That's where I'm at on the uh, on that. It was a challenge to Kenny to perform regardless of the, whatever's going on outside. And you know, I've said this to him: he hasn't performed up to that level over the course of this training camp as as, as I've seen him. So that was a challenge. What do you think? I don't know Brian Flores. I know his background, and he has a really interesting story to get to the position that he's at. Um, I think Brian Flores did something that he thought was kind of funny. And then when the public reacted, came up with that excuse. 
So you think he was just sort of joking? I think he was trying to make light of it internally. I don't think Brian Flores thought anybody would report that they played Jay-Z music to the extent that they did. And then he came up with this story as to why he did it. Well, I, I, th- I, th- I don't believe his intention was, I'm going to teach Kenny Stills that in circumstances about rough crowds, you got to stay focused. And I don't believe that it was, hey, he's had a poor camp, so I'm going to do this. I, I just don't. I think that's an after-the-fact excuse for okay. what he probably now says, well, maybe okay, I, but, I should have done but, that. But I would have, to me, it would have been more acceptable had he said, I was just joking. And so you, do I. And you guys made a big deal about However, it. However, I don't think Brian Flores wants you to think that's his image. Well, and my, my biggest question is, you really think that he had no idea that with all the attention that's been paid to, nope. that, that, that he was like that disconnected from no, no, reality? No, no, I don't think he thought anybody would report it. What, like they, they would notice that those were eight straight Jay-Z songs? Okay, but that, wait, wait, wait. You have to understand, at that point, the Dolphins now closed their practice. Oh, so some, a player must have... Mentioned it or no, something? No, there are a couple of media guys that are outside listening, and oh. that's how it got reported. Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald was the one that ran it. Uh, practice is open through camp until you get to that preparation of the third week, and not everybody does, but, but the Dolphins had closed it. But you I can don't still think, hear it outside the yeah, gates. I don't think he thought it would have gotten reported. Then when it got reported, he was like, wow, and then came up with the, well, that's why I did it. And that's just my guess. I may be uh, 100% like a guy trying to be wrong. a coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's... I, I, I think his explanation of I'm trying to motivate the, uh, um, he's having a bad camp and I'm trying to motivate. I just think that's high school. That's high school like. Mm. I think that's dumb. I mean to, to to say you're trying to motivate the, again. I don't think he thought it was going to get covered. Uh, and, and and maybe maybe he didn't care. But then it got the coverage. And then in our world that we got to analyze everything, it was like, oh wow, that's the reaction. Okay, well this is why I did it. Yeah. But again, it just sounds like something a high school coach would do. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna embarrass him in front of his teammates to motivate him. I don't. I, again, I don't. I, I'm with you. I don't believe that's the real reason. And by the way, let me add to a point which uh, I talked about a couple of days ago when it underreported was a story about Stephen Ross mm-hmm. and, and that committee, and then the next day became a bigger story. Um, and, and I want to give credit Marcellus Wiley on on the Speak for Yourself show on Fox brought up a point that that. For those that are criticizing Stephen Ross still, uh, if you don't understand, and I've said this before, if you don't know what he's done, not just for NFL players mm-hmm. and the Rice Foundation, but charitable organizations and his philanthropic causes and so forth, he, he still remains the only owner to have a black head coach and black GM. Now, that doesn't mean you get to say and do whatever you want, mm-hmm. but isn't it interesting that the only organization that has that, there are players that pretty much demanded he be removed. Yeah. And it's like, okay, really? <laughs> Yeah, I I don't again I I don't get that. What well, I said this yesterday. Don't you want that guy on your side? It, it, it is after the Donald Sterling thing in the NBA. Is that no longer sort of a a a, a defense? Like, hey, look, I've got a black head coach and black GM because wait. Uh, you, but I understand why you asked that question. Yeah, the argument back is if you and I'm not saying you are. If yeah. you think that's why Stephen Ross hired a black head coach and black GM, that's unfair to his track record of what he's done on issues like that. Because I agree with you. Hey, look, I hired. That's unfair to Ross's track record over not six months, over years 
of what he's done regarding his philanthropic and social issues and support for that. And most people still have no idea what the Rise Foundation is, have zero idea what it is and the money he's done. And to this day, still offers this to any player in the Dolphins. There's a cause that you want to get involved in. Come to me. I'll pay for it. I'll pay. Now, he's not saying give me $100 million, but if you want to do something in community, start a kids program, donate computers to, you know, uh, a tough neighbor, come to me. I'll pay for it. Do you know the track record of any other owners? Not that you can't find it, but but that guy was pushed out by players of a committee. Ah, I don't get it. Peace, love, boil peanuts. Have a great show.